two retired detectives that were in the thick of New York crime, fast and hectic. They got some stories and some jokes, even an interview with the most powerful folks. Off the cuff, off the cuff, one episode just ain't enough. Get a little laughter and an interview too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD. And with me today, and on most days, is my co-host, straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing today, Phil? I'm pretty good, Billy, and uh, I'm glad that we're going to have uh, one of my brothers from Gravesend on the show today, somebody that made it big in the motion picture business. You know, I'll, I'll tell you something. I was going to, when I saw I had two guys from Brooklyn, I was going to call the United Nations for an interpreter. They said, forget about it. You ain't getting no interpreter. You do it yourself. Willie, the Mayo, actor, producer, director, straight out of Brooklyn. How you doing, Willie? I'm great. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I know Phil for so many years. Uh, always, always, always been a great guy. And I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased to, to be on the show with both you guys, Bill and, uh, and Phil, um, um, I'm excited for this uh, this 45 minutes that we're going to talk. You know, Willie, I want to give everyone a flavor of the acting that you do and the directing that you do. So if you don't mind, I'm going to play your trailer for for everyone. And I think uh, people will get a feeling about uh, what you do, what kind of acting. And let's get it going right now. I know what I am. I'm a soldier. Brooklyn, this is my home. I grew up on these streets. They made me who I am today. I was 13 years old when I knew. I wanted to be like Peyton Charlie. This is our neighborhood. All you gotta do is follow orders. You do that in this life of ours. Everything else is easy. Everything good with your crew? I gotta deal with this from the box. His father's a captain. Respect is always up, Benny. You can't keep baseball batting people and then run to me. Yeah, I got everyone in check. The rules are the rules. I didn't make them up. Is that Carmine Rizzo's daughter over there? I want to go over and talk to her. Oh my God, Benny, how are you? Look, Benny's your letters moving up in the world. You know, the feds have been snapping pictures of us. We come from Brooklyn, there's a whole world out there different from here. Why are you back? Why'd you come back? Why'd you come back? Of course, you did. Dan Kucho did the storm. And I just stand there and watch the beat because Kucho's a made man. I'm not. Stop! Stop! Listen to me. You gotta control yourself. Running around this rules and you know them. I didn't ask to walk around here. I have to fight my way through everything. Then you're coming in tonight, you start a fight with your crew. You trying to test me and my family, Benny? All I know is that he was taught right. 
What is saying, Chris? That I don't teach my guy, right? Huh? The last thing I needed in a war with the Genesis. I took the same oath as you. I knew that that was my life. That the life came first. Our oath and our rules is my Bible. Please pray for my son. Good woman, your mother was. She used to pray for me almost every day. Please don't put me in a position where I'm not going to be able to help you. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, and we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I'm fully at peace with my decision. Very cool. Very, very cool, man. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, just watching the trailer. I mean, I want to watch it. I like those Absolutely. characters. You got people with some of the best faces I've ever seen. Where'd you get all those Brooklyn Italians from? <laughs> Brooklyn. <laughs> that was a stupid question, but <laughs> listen, that's true. Willie uses a lot of local people in all of his films. He's always filming around the area, Brooklyn, Bay Ridge, Bensonhurst, all that area. So he's uh he's a homegrown hero in Gravesend, that's for sure. No, thank you so much. Yeah, well, you know. The thing is, is that I, I really wanted to get, uh, even if people weren't very well known, I wanted just kind of like how the Sopranos, when they first did it, you didn't really know the act. They weren't very famous, most of the people that David Chase put in there, but they all did their role and they all, it all worked. They all were authentic. So I kind of wanted to do the same thing. Like even when Robert De Niro did a Bronx Tale, which was the first role, and that's how I even got in the industry, he just went out to the neighborhoods just to find authentic faces and people, and he went to Brooklyn and Jones Beach, and that's where he found Lilo Brancato. I mean, they they just went, they went and they found people. Just they just wanted street neighborhood people, and that's where they found Kathy Narducci and a whole bunch of people that winded up being in Bronx Tale were just weren't even actors, but they were real. They, they were able to be authentic. And what I'm finding, unfortunately, today is that the younger kids, it's a little harder to find the younger kids that were kind of like how when we were growing up, they don't have the accent as much and stuff. It's a little more difficult to find that old school feel these days. I, I just, when it comes to me um, casting the younger, you know, people in there, you know, teens and 20s, it's a little difficult. It's a little more of a challenge. But, Willie, you know, that's interesting is that to get people that are authentic, sometimes you have to go with non-actors. And that's uh, that's an amazing thing. Like, I've dabbled in acting myself. I'm not looking for a part or anything. This I'm taking this show right to the Oscars. Anyway, well, what I'm I saying believe- is my acting teacher always used to say to me, you being you is a lot more interesting than you trying to be someone else. And that's so true, isn't it? It's true. It, it's funny you said that because I remember um, years ago, I, I read for Law and Order. I had an audition and uh, the casting director said, uh, you bring such real, you know, your, your accent, everything is so real. And I said, you know, well, I'm trying my best to try to lose it and not have it as prominent. And she said, no, no. that's your strong point. 
and you don't know how hard it is for us to find what you have naturally. So it's a good point you just made, Bill. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. Is like you think of all these great actors like Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, uh, Sean Connery. They all had thick accents. You know what I mean? And uh, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro had that New York accent. Of course, Sean Connery had that, uh, what was it, Welsh. He was Welsh, right? Welsh and no, no one said, get rid of that accent. Somehow he made it. And, and if you think about it, um, De Niro, Joe Pesci, Pacino, John Travolta, like the, the, their main, the roles that they stand out the most in most are those roles, you know, the roles when they played Italian Americans and played street guys, they've done a lot of them, especially De Niro and Travolta have done many different things, but they're mainly known for the New York characters more than anything. I mean, Pacino, sure. you know, especially, uh, they're known for those roles, even though they have, they've done a lot of other things, but their main people really know them for Colito's way, Scarface, Goodfellas, Mean Streets, um, Raging Bull. Those are the roles that kind of Raging their Bull. accents were very oh, wow. prominent. You know, I always thought that uh, at one time in my life, I thought De Niro was the greatest American actor. But as I watched more and more stuff, I really believed that Pacino is a chameleon and he is he can do anything. And if you just you brought up Scarface. I mean, he was Tony Montana. Oh, my I God. Mean, he Absolutely. was Tony Montana. And when he played in that movie where he played the blind guy, I really believed he was blind. I forget the name of the movie right now. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. Oh, Scent, Scent of a Woman. Scent of a Woman, yes. I really believed he was blind. The way he just put And I was like, holy shit, how does he do that? That's incredible acting, you know? No, and yeah, I, I mean, I mean, the both of them are, are, are amazing. And I, it's funny because in Analyze That, my character's name was Al Pacino because I – you know, the character said he thought he looked like Al Pacino. And De Niro says, you look like Carol Burnett as much as you look like Al Pacino. Um, <laughs> and it was funny because I they were going to use Pacino was going to be in that scene with me too. And then he wasn't available. I would have been able to work with De Niro and Pacino in the same scene, which would have been mind-boggling. Pacino's definitely on my bucket list. I know he's 81 now. Wow. But I, I, you know, him and Stallone are on my bucket list to work with. That's yeah, amazing. You, you you got a lot of people already that you've worked with, some very famous people. And and a couple of years back, we did that uh, that thing on 86th Street with John Travolta and his uh, his wife Kelly Preston when uh, he came back. What was it? The 40th anniversary of uh, Saturday Night Fever, Willie? Yeah, well, it was right when the Gotti movie was coming out, and uh, John came in, and you know we had 10,000 people in the streets. It was amazing. It was. Uh, there it was it great right to there. do that in front of Lenny's Pizzeria on 86th Street. Yeah. It, it's funny because that day I was with you, I was doing the bodyguard and, and um, I met some of the uh, some of the uniformed police officers that were there. They actually had to call a mobilization because you were only expecting a couple of thousand. It was like over 10,000 people, I think. Right. It was it was it was really, really uh, crowded. There. I mean, there were people up on the roofs watching up on the train station because it was under the L. It was uh it was a great day. It was really uh it was really nice. We had a lot of fun with uh Joe Causey emceed it. And uh, right there you got uh, Marty Golden. I think he presented a uh he presented some type of uh an award to John Travolta. That yeah, day. a special achievement award and, and I can't thank the six two precinct enough because they were all the captain um 
Anthony at the time. Anthony Longobardo, yes. yes. And Stephen, Stephen, who always helps us so much. Um, I can't thank the 6-2 Precinct enough. And, and even just now recently, um, we were able to shoot a scene for Gravesend Season 2 there. Um, the new captain uh, is, is wonderful, too. I, I forgot his name. Um, I apologize. But uh, they are, they were always treat me really good. I, I can't say enough good things about the 6-2 Precinct. Uh, they were really great with this it, event. And always yes, Steve, Gar Steve Gardell from the movie TV unit worked with you a few times, too. I think he was also helpful getting that uh, getting that scene done at the 6-2 that you just did recently. Yes, yeah, no, it was great. Uh, you know, Willie, I just wanted you to look on the screen. I love that actor on the right, and I have no idea what his name is. But what a well, that, face. That's Joe Vitarelli. Yeah, it's been a real friend of mine who, uh, who we did the movie Wannabes together. We became very good friends. And uh, I have a story about him, too. He used to smoke like crazy. I mean, he used to smoke the camel cigarettes one after the other. I mean, literally, like, he was a chain smoker. Like, there was no tomorrow. Um, And I'll never forget, because, you know, he's an analyze this. He played Jelly and analyzed that. And when I got my call back for Analyze That, I was all excited, you know, to meet Harold Ramis, who was the director who passed away, who was a phenomenal director. Um, and I was talking to Joe. He says, listen, kid, he goes, you're going into Yankee Stadium today to meet Harold Ramis. And he goes, you better knock him dead, kid. Something I never forgot. Um, and then I wind <laughs> up getting the role and working with him. But he, he was a great guy. He, had a lot, he was so authentic, too. Another great actor. Yeah, it's, it seems like an actor like like him. Let me just go back to the picture. He doesn't like what we were talking about. Him being him is much more interesting in him trying to be a character because he is a character. His body, his face, everything makes him a character. Yeah, you know who discovered him was Sean Penn. Uh, um, the movie that they did, State of Grace. State of Grace. That was his first movie, and Sean Penn discovered Joe, just like we just said. He just thought he had a great face and um, very authentic, and that's how Joe got started. You know what I think, Willie? A lot of times it's it's the Italian culture. It's where you grew up. It's seeing people uh, around the neighborhood uh, having a certain level of respect and growing up in that. It's kind of – I think that's how De Niro, Pacino, and Pesci, that's how they uh, got to be so good. Obviously uh, – uh, Al Pacino, all of those, they're the greats, and they studied a lot too. But I think they took their what was inside of them, you know, their their culture, uh, being from you know from the New York area, being from New York, and the way that that we grew up and the things that we went through, and then that just applied and came right out on the screen. Exactly, it, it's like Martin Scorsese used to look like at, at through his window. He lived by Elizabeth Street downtown. And he used to look out the window. He never really like like hung out in social clubs or anything, but he used to just see all these characters and people just from where. And that's how he started with Mean Streets, just growing up there and uh, and and seeing all meeting all these crazy you know these people, all these characters that you meet in like Little Italy and stuff like that. Yeah, you know yeah. Willie, the, the guy here is uh, Chuck Zito. And, yeah, Chuck's uh, my I know boy. he's still, I love, he... Chuck is the best. I love the story about him knocking out John Claude Van Damme and scores. Yeah, uh, Chuck is a martial artist. He's a tough guy. He, he works a lot in security too. He's got to be in his seventies now, I'd imagine. No, Awful Chuck, close. Chuck, is, Chuck is like um, 
I wouldn't let Chuck hear you saying that. You might be his next victim for the seventies. But hey, I'm I'm going to be sixty five. I know he's older than me. <laughs> I think Chuck. I think Chuck is 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 your age. I think he's yeah. sixty five or sixty six. But let uh -huh. me tell you one thing about Chuck. We just did a scene with him, and he played. He had a because he's in Gravesend season two. He plays Carmine Rizzo, which is the girl that I was dating, who I was shouldn't have been dating's father. And he's in prison, and he, we we had we did a scene with him in a flashback, and he had a scene where he knocked out like five guys. And when I tell you, he moves like a twenty-year-old. Like you would not even believe the shape and the way this guy still moves, and it was unbelievable. I can't wait till people get to see this scene that he did. Um, he's still. Let me tell you one thing about Chuck Zito. He didn't lose a step. He didn't lose a step at his age. Uh, He's still in great shape. Um, he was just training Mike Tyson for his last fight. He was involved in the training of wow. Mike Tyson. You know, he bodyguards Stallone. He's, uh, he knows everyone, Chuck. He knows Wasn't everyone. he in original Hell's Angels, too? He was in yeah, Hell's Yeah, he was one of the, yeah, he's in Hell's Angel, of course, yeah. And um, he's, a, he's a great guy, by the way. If he got your back, he, he got your back. You know, yeah. he was also he he he's another guy with a great character face because he was in that show on HBO Oz, the Oz prison, and, Oz, yes. and that show I thought was great for the first year or two. Then it went over the top violent, and they lost the whole audience. I think yeah, and if he, you go he, too he violent, people don't show. believe yeah, he it. He did a great job in that show. Yeah, no, I thought he was great, but I think the show uh, in itself got way too violent. Well, just so did um, the, the other show that just um, uh, Ray Donovan. It was that was fantastic. Then they went over the top violent. It was like this isn't even believable anymore. How are you killing ten people? A, a, a you know a, an episode and no one gets arrested. People you know? are saying that about <laughs> Yellowstone as well. Yellowstone is a uh, is a great series. I watched the first season or second season, and it just became more and more violent. Is what people are saying. I haven't seen the latest ones, but uh, yeah, you know, I guess you know what the problem is is that, is that today when you're making these shows, it's like, it seems like the audience wants to keep seeing, like, remember the Sopranos? Everyone wanted someone to get whacked. Yeah. Like every episode people want, they want to see someone whacked. They want to see someone getting beat down, pummeled. And the problem is, is that you can't always do that. You have to make these characters be more believable too, where they're not just being violent and you need to see the other sides to them. You can't just be, just be hitting everyone and, and knocking everyone out and shooting. That's everyone. not reality either, Willie. That's not reality. It doesn't happen every second of every day in the organized crime world. People no. get beaten and killed. So, but no, you know, Willie, sure. some of the things in the Sopranos that uh, brought the realization, like I remember, you know, sometimes they ingratiate themselves to you and you think, oh, these what these mobsters are such good guys. Then they do something that shows you they really are mobsters. Like when Paulie Walnuts murdered his mother's friend and yes. burglarized the apartment. I was like, what a piece of shit that guy is, you know? But it brings you back to who these guys really are. And that's true. And, to, and um, I remember James Gandolfini when I was, because I was in 10 episodes, he always used to say that. He used to say, these guys are, these guys who they are. You can't, you can't sugarcoat it in any way, shape or form. And I think that that was the, the problem that some people had with the Gotti movie that I was in, which I thought was really good, but some certain people were just like a little bit, they didn't really like that they showed the side of John Travolta, his character being so much with his family, 
they just kind of wanted to see the mobster part of John Gotti. But when it showed how he was with his family, that was the difference in that Gotti movie was it showed a lot of John with his family and his and his son and his kids. And um, it seems like the, the world mainly wants to see these guys just killing people and, and in social clubs and breaking knuckles and beating everyone up. But like you guys said, there's <laughs> sort of like the trailer, Willie. Sort of like the trailer we watched a few minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to all the house parts mainly. Willie, you know? let me ask you something. All right. Growing up in Brooklyn, um, what was your big, what was your fascination with the mob? Why, why did you become so fascinated with it? Was it that an integral part of the neighborhood that you couldn't avoid dealing with it? And what made you, you know, want to make like mob style movies? Well, my, my thing was, is that you're prone to your environment. So if you grew up in a neighborhood where the wise guys are getting the most attention and they're the ones that are the movie stars, that's kind of what you think is um, you the power you see the power in our neighborhood, the power was in the wise guys, mainly, you know what I'm saying? Especially when you're a kid and you haven't been out in the world and you haven't been in Manhattan and you haven't met other people. And you're, so your neighborhood is pretty much, um, you know, construction, um, city workers. Uh, there's not that many doctors and lawyers you met in our neighborhood. There was, you know, there was a handful, but um, so you see, the power that these guys would have. And as a kid, I remember like going to Avenue U and like going by the car service by McDonald Avenue. And I would see all these guys sitting outside at like two, three o'clock in the afternoon and Cadillacs outside there and, and gold rings and, and bracelets. And it just was intriguing because you're looking and you're like, my father's home, my father's working now. And, um, these guys are out there and they're playing cards and there's money flying on the table. And, um, it, it's just crazy. The, um, so you just kind of get intrigued by that because it seems a little dangerous. And as a kid, of course, danger gets you a little bit excited too, when you're younger and you know that there's a danger to it. And, um, just, you know, going for instance, getting in pastels. The only way I got in pastels in front of the line back then was through one of those guys. You know what I'm saying? It would be like I mentioned someone and then I go in and I get in. It's not like I was mentioning. Let, let uh, me give a little background on pastels. Now, growing up in yeah. Brooklyn in like the 80s and the 90s, pastels was a club in Bay Ridge that it was packed every weekend. Um, and and Willie, you hit it right. There were two lines. There was the, I used to call it the good guy line and the bad guy line. The bad guy line went all the way to the corner around the block. And the good guy line was short and you had to know somebody to get in. Now, I worked uh, not in that precinct, but I worked in a, in a neighboring precinct. So we used to get in there by showing our badges and, and we would get right in. And you're right. There was, there was, you know, there was the gangsters that controlled the place or whatever. And, and they would let people in that they knew too. But real quick about growing up, uh, you mentioned Avenue. I grew up on Avenue. I worked on Avenue and there was you really hit a point there. You would be a young kid. Now, everybody knew there would be rumoring in your window about different guys in the area. I'm not going to mention names, but the minute you saw the guy, you knew who he was. You knew he was a made guy or you knew he was nobody to screw around with. And 
They all had brand new cars. They all were dressed tonight. You know, 12 o'clock in the afternoon, these guys were dressed with dress pants and a dress shirt. And they had the nice pinky ring and the watch. And they they had respect. When they walked down the street, people said hello to them. They got respect. So, again, for young guys, Willie, you made a great point. You could really look at this and say, wow, you know, they got girls. They got money. They got new cars. And, you know, they're dressing nice. And they're, you know, they're getting haircuts every two, three days. And, and just... Really, like, it was almost like Hollywood. It was like, wow, you know? So I could see how young guys could get pulled into that. You're right, the excitement. And then when something would happen, there would be, there would be you know, not every day, but there'd be somebody get beat up or there'd be a, a killing, you know, a, gang, a, a gangland killing or something. Oh, I got to talk about that. There's a story behind that way I got to tell you about. <laughs> Sandy's a good guy. That's a good picture. San- that, that's Sandy Blue Eyes. So now that picture was about two months ago when you were filming at L&B. Yeah. And yes. when I got there that morning, we got there about 730 in the morning and I was helping you out to, you know, to co- coordinate with my relatives from LMB Spumoni Gardens. So all the actors were there, the extras, whatever. And this guy is dressed to the nines. He's got the tan, the hair's going. So everybody keeps saying to me, you know, the people that uh, affiliated with LMB, they're like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? I said, gee, I don't know. I don't know who he is, you know? So one of the owners comes over to me and he goes, listen, that guy's got to be a real gangster. He goes, he looks too good, you know? <laughs> so I said, well, admit, listen, Willie uses people from the neighborhood. Maybe the guy really has a, a rough and tumble background, right? So as the day goes on, we met Chase Palmateri's wife and his daughter who's in your in your show. And I start talking to you about it. It just so happened that that night we were interviewing Chaz Palmateri on Police Off the Cuff podcast. So I start telling you about it. And then you said, wait, I got to introduce you to his best friend. He's, it's his bodyguard. And you bring me over to Sandy Blue Eyes. So we start talking and I'm thinking, the guy's a bodyguard. Maybe he's a street guy. All of a sudden, he tells me I'm a retired highway cop. I go, <laughs> I know, right? I go I'm retired too. And we just made a bond and we've been you know, uh, talking ever since. And we're, tr- we're actually going to have Sandy... And chairs on sometime in the future, hopefully in the new year. And uh, but it was just great how everybody's going to me. Who is this guy? Who is he? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I everybody thought he was either like some big big actor, you know, that they couldn't just think of his name, or he was definitely a gangster that you were using. In the, in oh, the that's show. great. Well, even even you, Phil, you you know, just like when you first came on today, when you were joking with the with the shades. I mean, you could pull off the street, or you could pull off the law. You know what I'm saying? So. Can't you kind of bring like, that up? Can't you bring that up? Hold on, hold on. Hold on. Guys, a lot of the cops. Oh, yeah. Wait, hold on a second. You know, I got my gold chain. There you go. Are you fucking kidding me or what? <laughs> I got, I'm got. i going to audition for a part in your next your next episode, Willie. You know, w- Willie, I got to show something because I'm sure you're very proud of this, and I got to show our audience this. Those Look at those abs, huh? Yeah, wow. Yeah. Those aren't Spumoni Gardens, Abs, right? No, Spumoni Gardens. When I, when I played that role, Anthony Rodriguez, in the boxing movie, there was no Spumoni Gardens for like over a year. It was just grilled chicken at Spumoni Gardens. Yeah. Was, you weren't eating too many squares from L&B at that oh time. Oh, my God. I remember that pizza for over a year. I had <laughs> no sweets at all. You, you were probably you training every day, too. too, no? Excuse me? You were training every day? Every day. And I'll tell you a story about that, too. So um, I was on such a strict, strict diet, like beyond crazy. And I remember right before right Christmas, 
my family was like, come on, it's Christmas. You got to cheat. It's one day. You know, we were shooting and we were going to start shooting in, in February. And I was like way ahead of the game with that. And I was like, no, I don't, you know, like, come on. So I had a, a, a dish of pasta and I sat down on the, on the chair, on the sofa, and I couldn't stand up. Like my body literally, because I was so clean, I had only like sweet potato carbs in me. Like I was so by the book and it, it took my, my body was just like, what did you just do to us? Like all yeah, of that is nowhere. So I couldn't even stand up. I was like, wow. It took me a while to get off the couch even. So, you know, um, Willie, that's so true. My, my son used to wrestle and he would go to bed like five or six pounds overweight. And he'd be like, don't worry. He goes, I I'm going to be on weight tomorrow morning. And sure enough, through the night, he would lose like six pounds. Yeah. His body was just like such a, a, a finely tuned instrument that it just exactly. would get rid exactly. of the weight. It was, it was, um, but this uh, conversely, if he drank a Gatorade, he could put on five pounds. It was like, it was unbelievable. Oh, oh, I know, but it's just, it, it, it's, it's really working out every day is great. But you know, the diet really puts your body in another level. It oh, yeah. gives you, it's like 75% the diet, you know, 25% working out, you know, it's, it's really, you know, to get the, the, the real vascular look. Um, and speaking of that, one of the actors in my show, big, big Pete, his name is um, Pete Gordio. He, um, he, he, he's on that diet and he looks insane all, constantly. It's well, hard to live like that. How many movies have you done? Not how many have you been in? How many of your production have you done? I did six of my own films and then, you know, the show Gravesend added to that. Uh, my last movie was that movie back in the day. And then right before that was Once Upon a Time in Brooklyn. Uh, and everyone really kind of like, I really kind of got started with the movie Wannabes that came out in 2000. That really kind of kickstarted me as my own, as my first film um, that I, my first film was called One Deadly Row, but the one wannabes was the movie that really kind of got me a lot of recognition. Very good. Now, yeah. now, when you first started out, when did you did you did you study acting for a while? Well, I I kind of um, I I just kind of fell into it. I knew someone who knew De Niro, and I winded up getting um, uh, a little part in a Bronx Tale, and I got my SAG card on my first gig, and I just then I started you know taking private classes, um with a woman named Alice Spivak who passed away recently, unfortunately, who was a, a, my private teacher. Um, and then I started reading a lot of scripts and I started writing and uh, kind of learned, I kind of learned filmmaking just by making movies myself, learning the hard way, pretty much. Now, when you do a movie, do you do you get uh, financial backers? How do you come up with the money to, to make a movie? Yeah, well, we, we have, you know, different sponsors and, and people that... Um, well-off people who invest in independent films and stuff like that. And that's kind of what we're doing. I'm very excited about this new season of Gravesend because I've added like an amazing cast. The, the, the great thing about the first season was, and it was a short season and we didn't have a lot of financing to do it. Um, and we only were able to do four episodes, but it gave us a fan base, which we have a very big fan base now. And it gave us the opportunity to cast such great people like Fran Drescher, Armand Asante, William Forsythe, Andrew Dice Clay, Sophia Milos, Vic Di Batetto, 
um, Mario Cantone, Martin Cove, who's on that great show, Cobra Kai, his son, Jesse Cove. And uh, now we're getting more. We're about to announce a couple of more really well-to-do, well-known people that we're, we're, we're pretty close to getting them. Uh, that's He's from Cobra Kai. Uh, Brett, he's a great guy, by the way, a comedian. Uh, we're about to... Uh, to announce some more great people that we're adding and we're, 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 we're pretty far along in season two now and we should be done with the whole shooting of it by, by the early spring. Now, Willie, when you hire a name actor and obviously your, your films or your projects, they're not uh, high budget. How, how do they take a lesser salary or no pay? Well, or a they- lot of them do um, believe in the project and believe in me and they, they come aboard. You know, Alec Baldwin was in my last movie. So when you put people of that magnitude in your movies, um, the agencies are, are quick to get on the phone with you because they see you have a track record that you right. put people like that in your movies. And um, the show really took on its own identity. And a lot of people, you know, Dice, Andrew Dice had contacted, we, we spoke to each other and he had watched the first season and he really liked it. And he not only came aboard as an actor, but as a producer, as well as an executive producer. So, um, that's another good actor, Chris Mermando, who plays one of my drivers now, who's a real, there's a, there's a guy who's authentic. He did some time actually. Um, and he, and when he came out, he got into acting and he, um, and he just studied acting, and uh, he he does a great job. Um, in you know, show. Willie, every everyone wants to be an actor, but not everyone wants to put in the work that it takes to be a really good actor. You know, of course, you could you could show up and be an extra, and anyone anyone could do that. But to try to really be a real actor, you really have to work pretty damn hard at it. It's true, and and the thing is, is a lot of times when I try to get authentic people who don't have any acting experience uh, and I try to get them, you know, they may bring the authenticity, but they can't really deliver the lines. Right. So it's try, it's hard to find both. It's very hard to find a guy who's, who gets the street and the accent, but yet can deliver lines that I can actually hear and can pronunciate the right and way. Yeah, the, the right phrasing saying yeah, it correctly. And, and just, yeah. And just, you know, a lot of times you put a camera on people and they freeze. You know right. what I'm saying? So you guys are used to this, too. I mean, you guys are on this podcast. I mean, Phil's very natural in everything he does. And I see you guys are very at ease right here. Like, you're used to this now. You've got this podcast going. And, you know, for you to do a few lines in a, in a, in a movie or a TV show wouldn't be hard for you guys because you guys... You have a sense of the camera. You know what I'm saying? The camera That's actually fight. how Bill and I met. We were actually, uh, we have a mutual friend, Rick Torelli, who was the executive producer of a show called The Perfect Murder. And he asked me to come on. Bill had already did it several times and play a detective. And I actually thought he was joking in the beginning. But lo and behold, I wound up on the set. Uh, Bill was playing my partner and I was a little nervous. And I says, Billy, you know, he said, don't worry about it. Just do what you would normally do as a detective, you know? And we just started like uh, hitting each other with lines and hitting the guy that we were interviewing with lines. And it just became real natural. And we were able to really come across good on screen. Bill did about six episodes. I did three episodes. And I got to tell you, Willie, and I think I might have told you this before when we met, 
uh, after I did it. I have a newfound respect for actors because it's not easy to memorize those lines. When you read it on a piece of paper and you read the sentence, it's just words. But now you have to deliver it and it has to be believable. And for me, it wasn't that hard to reproduce the lines on the paper because I was a detective for my whole career just about, you know, and I was on the police force for 22 years. So it really wasn't that hard. But then the last episode I did, I was actually like supposed to be a seasoned detective and it was a a brand new detective, like his first day in the detective squad and we catch a homicide. So I had major, major lines and it, it just was not easy. It's very intense. And there was the last day of shooting, we were doing a lot of scenes and a lot of it was interrogation scenes. And I was cheating on the, I, I had the case folder, like we're in an interview room and I had the mm-hmm. case folder on my, you know, in front of me and I had the lines a little bit sticking out and I was, you know, I was glancing down at them a couple of times. So now the room was small and there was three cameras in the room. And at one point, you know, towards the end of the day, the director says, uh, uh, the cameraman says, no, Phil, you got to move that. We, we can't see it. Uh, we can see it in the shot. So I said, okay, I took it. I threw it on the floor. I go, that's it. I'm done. So the, the director goes, what do you mean you're done? I go, I can't remember this shit. I go, it's just too much. He goes, listen, you got the idea. And he tells now the, the guy who was playing my part was an actor. And the guy we're interviewing was another actor. He goes, you guys got the idea, right? He goes, I right, just ad lib it. So now I start screaming at the guy and the guy was, you know, had, had killed his girlfriend. And I take a Polaroid picture of the girlfriend. I stick it right in the guy's face. Now, this was not on the script at all. And the guy knocks it out of my hand. And we're like going at one another. And the director goes, that was great. Do that again, you know? So it just <laughs> turned out that we just we just ad-libbed it. And that particular part of it, it, it wound up being one of the best That's parts great. of that episode. And I got to tell you, though, and I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's not easy. I give a lot of respect to actors. It's very difficult and it's intense. And, you know, you keep, you, you're under pressure, you know, when that camera's on and that director's there and they, you know, they, they don't want to say, all right, wait a second. You know, uh, let me look at that. Come on, let's go guys. We'll do it. Do it. Do it. Exactly. You know, you know Willie, not- uh, Joe Murray, another guy, a retired police officer and attorney. Now he's trying to pitch for a Philly and I to be in your movie. And he just gave us a four ninety nine super chat. He says, Willie, we would love to see Sergeant Bill and Detective Phil in your show. I worked on The Perfect Murder with both of them, and they were such naturals. Oh, thank you, Joe Murray. Good man, Joe. <laughs> Thanks, thank Joe. You. Yeah, great- we'll, we'll, we'll see about that, Joe. Thank you, bro. <laughs> let, let me also, what you just said, Phil, about, um, you know, the acting and how um, difficult it can be, which people don't really realize. Like you just said, you got a taste of it. But try, in my shoes... I'm directing the show, I write the show, and I'm the star of the show. So I'm not only worried about my parts when I'm acting, but I have 5,000 other things going on, making, and we're making a period piece. So I'm doing a show about the 80s, shooting in a neighborhood where, and in Miami as well, where things have changed. And I have to really be conscious about that. And I'm also the writer. So, and I have to deal with everything. So it's, it's a lot. It's, it's definitely a lot. And I'm, and I'm up for the challenge. And um, uh, it's, it's something that I, I have a great team around me. So it makes it, it, it makes it a little easier because I have great people around me. And I have great actors that I'm acting with. 
Willie, I got to make a comment about that course. I worked with you twice on Gravesend. The day that you were shooting on Avenue U in the catering hall, you were doing a, a scene where there was a sit down and, and then the FBI agents were outside. I worked with you that day. I was watching you then. And then recently when you were at Spumoni Gardens doing those scenes with Chaz Palminteri's daughter. And I saw her and I, I said, I, I told Steve Gardell, I told Billy, I said, this guy gets it done. He knows what he's doing. I've been on movie sets other, and television shows many times. And I saw what you do, how you do it, and you get it done. And I give you a lot of credit for that, man. It's not easy. I know that part of it, the acting part of it is difficult, but the production part is even that much more difficult. And you are, I, you're wearing I, all those different hats, so it's hard. But I appreciate that very much. And speaking of, of, of Gabriella Palminteri, Chaz's daughter, I think she's going to be a star. Uh, she, she plays was great Sophia that day. She plays um, the character um, Rosemary uh, Telva, who's Crazy Chris's daughter, who's married to um, to um, Tina Telva, who is played by Sophia Milos. And when I tell you, she brings it. She is really wonderful. And uh, we, we added a lot of youth to the show, including my son Christian. So we have some great young young people in there that are doing a great, fabulous job. Willie, I just want to let you know, uh, I told you I would do this. You got like three minutes. You, you, you promised us 45 minutes and we're at 41.30. So you got three minutes and 30 seconds left. I know you got a book out of here to go to catch a plane to uh, Florida. So I didn't want to take any more of your time. It's been fantastic. And I feel like we could speak all afternoon. Absolutely. Like, uh, Absolutely. I was going to pull out a bottle of Sambuca with the three beans and start drinking. <laughs> Absolutely. And we got to get together. Yeah. And, and, and talk in person. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Uh, I'm, I'm very grateful to be with you guys today. Like I said, I've always, Phil has always been, been great to me, um, all the time and always had my back and I'll always have his and I'll have yours, Bill. Uh, I appreciate you guys having me on today. Willie, thank you so much. Uh, Philly, we're going to stay on after Willie leaves. Yeah. I just, I didn't want him to miss his plane or whatever. Willie, it's been an honor to meet you. And yeah, we definitely got it. We'll have you back. I know you got, you continually produce more stuff and uh, more, more stuff, more, more films, more TV shows, more acting. And uh, you, you'd be a great guest to have back on the show. Phil, final words to say to Willie. <laughs> final words. Willie, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, we definitely got to get together. Me, you, and Bill will meet over at Spumoni Gardens and have a little uh, dinner or whatever. And hopefully you won't be training for a boxing role and we can enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, of course. But, uh, right. I, I, know, I know you got the show Gravesend. You're an accomplished actor. You were in Sopranos, many, many roles, movies. Keep going, brother. You're doing great. We're all very proud of you, all the uh, the people that come from that area of Brooklyn. And uh, it was just such a great honor to have you on today. Thank you so much. And I know that this Gravesend series is going to be big. Uh, I think the people that uh, are into entertainment are thirsty for something like this. And I think you're going you're gonna to really hit it out of the park with this one. And obviously the trailer shows that. Oh, thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate that. I'm honored to be here. And it's just great to be able to shoot in the neighborhood and to bring people together and people that are from the neighborhood. And, and just, you know, when I do a scene with, with a bunch of kids who are even extras or, you know, what, what the best part for me that makes me the most thrilled about this whole entire thing is that being able to be in a position where I could give certain people a, a lifelong experience that they'll never forget. You know, when they're, you know, kids, even when they turn, you know, 50, 60 years old later on, they're going to remember that they had a line or that they were in a scene on the street 
and something like that. And it's I'm grateful that I can be able to do that for people. And it's just a blessing. And one, I one, one quick story, Willie. One quick story, real quick. It'll take a second. No, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Not long ago, you were eating dinner in L and B. And a kid come up to me and says, you think I could go? I'm a big fan. Can I go over and say hello to him? I said, yeah, yeah, sure. He went over. He asked you for your autograph. And the kid was almost like a natural, like Brooklyn from the 80s. And you said, when the kid walked away, I says, Willie, that kid is like, he goes, I know. I asked him if he wants to be in the show. Did anything ever come in that? Is that kid going to yeah, be in? Yeah, well, that kid, Joe, Joey, his name is, he he has a role. He had a few lines. Beautiful. And he did a, and he did a break dancing scene, too. He knows how to break dance. And he and he did he had a few lines already and um, perfect yeah so I'm glad you brought that kid to me and that was great you know and, and that's what it's all about just trying to make people happy and and bringing everyone together you know the world is crazy these days and um I try to keep it old school and try and make people um uh you know just remember how it used to be in Brooklyn and that's what we're doing with the show and um again I'm grateful guys I hope you guys have a great day I'm, I thank you so much for having me on. God bless you both, and until great Christmas and, and New Year. You too, you Willie. Too have a safe flight, Billy, and uh, Thank go you get guys. them out there in Florida. God bless Enjoy. always. God All bless, right. man. Thank Bye you. now. Bye, guys. That was great. You know, <laughs> Philly, it, it's funny that um, I was thinking that, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, when he talks about acting and all of that stuff, and we do this show, and believe it or not, and you, as you know, I've been doing News Nation. They've been calling me as a talking head. And I, 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 I'm not nervous at all. I walk down my driveway. There's a uh, production van. And I get in there and I realize there could be hundreds of thousands of people watching. I could give a shit. Right. You know what I mean? I'm not nervous at all. And a lot of it has to do. I've done over 400 of these shows. Plus, I did stand-up comedy for six years. So basically, you know, I could, if you could do stand-up, you could, uh, you don't get nervous about doing anything. So there's not there's not much stage fright once you've done stand up, I'm sure. And then when you look at our careers, I mean, you you know, let's say you roll up in uniform, you roll up on a car accident, you start directing people, you're talking to a crowd, so you're already you're getting the exposure there. And then testimony at trial, that was another thing that made me like, you know, not have fear of the camera or anything. But I got to tell you this, Bill, when we first started doing, I came on as a guest. And I was a guest on Police Off the Cuff. It was one thing. But then when I was co-hosting with you and I was actually doing the show, there were times I had knots in my stomach. I swear this is the truth. There was one time I actually took a little bit of scotch. I downed it right before the show. <laughs> and just to like settle me down a little bit. Obviously now it's like second nature. I could go on 10 minutes before we're going to do the show. And, you know, I just turned the camera on it to set everything up and we're rolling. And you're right. If I had to do News Nation as one of those things tomorrow – I mean, the first time I might be a little bit nervous, but I would be very comfortable with it, you know? And I guess that's uh, what Willie was trying to get at, you know? You know, Phil, it's amazing that you brought up some of the things from the job. Like, right, testifying in a courtroom, that's being, you know, talk about acting. That's being on under pressure. For me, presenting at Comstat oh, and uh, standing up at a lectern and having an adversarial group of bosses questioning you in an that's adversarial manner testifying in court if people oh yeah 
only other cops are going to understand what you're trying to say. But basically, you got the police commissioners, the high ranking chiefs of the department. And like you said, they're not putting you up there to like, you know, give a speech. They're going to critique you and, and like ask you questions about it. And they got all the answers because they get all the information the day before. So now when you're giving your presentation, if it's not right on the mark and they start throwing dots at you, like, right? Isn't that what happens? Well, yeah. I mean, it's an adversarial way. And it's it's like, just imagine if anyone out there in the audience, your bosses having you in front of all your bosses and have them question your competence. That's very intimidating. So if you falter, they're questioning the competency of the job that you do. So that's so, so very intimidating. Some of you folks in the chat, yeah, I did stand-up comedy for almost seven years. And then when the pandemic hit, I stopped doing it. I started doing the podcast more, and I haven't gone back. I miss stand-up, but I, I don't miss the hustle of it, meaning that I had to go into the city two or three times a week. I used to run a mic on Monday nights up here, and then you do shows in between. And That's a grind. It, 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 that's yeah, a grind. it's it's very um, – Look at Joe Murray. Try, thank you again, Joe, for the four ninety nine super chat. Tried defending criminals in court. Oh, so, good some point. acting skills, except mine, are not. We're all not guilty. Yeah, Joe, I'm sure yours. In fact, you know something, Joe? Let's. We got to do your commercial. Just to, he really, <laughs> he brought up such a good point. We're gonna do his commercial. We're gonna do his commercial. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. Yeah, good point, Joe. You're, you're, you're defending somebody that's probably guilty and you got a really tap dance. I get it. That's acting. That's real acting. Well, you know something? It's so true. Like, we all act, you know, we all uh, in all kinds of different situations. But to be able to draw upon that, like, I mean, I had done some scenes in acting class. And I, look, and I just scratched the surface. I studied acting for about three years. But I did some scenes in acting classes where I literally had tears running down my face. And I was like, I never knew that I could do that. You know what I mean? And it was drawing on something that I, and I had me and everyone has in them, but try to do that. Try to bring that up from doing a scene. What's making you do that? How are you making yourself feel that you're able to cry, actually cry of tea, real tears Running down you're, your face. You're drawing into your emotions. You're pulling emotions out. That's 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 the real acting craft. Which you're, if you could cry on cue, or or show emotion on cue, that's really uh, that's an expert. That's a real actor, you know. Obviously, but go, going back to what you were talking about with Comstat, uh, Billy. There were careers made and broken at Comstat over the years. I mean, there were guys that that presented at Comstat, and the next day they had to put in their papers. They had to resign, uh, retire from the job. So, yeah. uh, again, that's real stress. There was I, I saw a lot of nastiness down there. It wasn't pretty. And, um, I mean, they would def the people that were the inquisitors, they would defend what they did because it was for the better good of the city and the better good of the department and all that stuff. But – I saw some real nasty stuff down there that wasn't wasn't nice. It wasn't pretty. Like you said, people left Comstat meetings and just went and put their papers right in and said, I'm out of here. You know, 
this is ridiculous. I'm a grown man. I don't want to be spoken to like that. You know? There was actually like when comps that would come down, bosses would go hiding, you know, they didn't want to be because they would be in the squad. There would be a lieutenant <laughs> and sometimes two sergeants. So if the lieutenant wasn't able to make it, he was out sick or if he was on vacation or something and they would have to send a sergeant, they'd be, you know, running to hide, you know, get out of the office, uh, you know, sign out before they could grab you for comps that. But uh, again, talking about testimony in trial. Now, when you testify in court, there's a grand jury, which is just a, a room full of civilians and the district attorney. That's, you know, it's 30 people looking at you as you testify. It's not really that uh, intimidating. But then you have like a hearing where it's the judge and it's the prosecutor, defense attorney, the bad guy is there, and you know maybe a handful of people in the courtroom, which that's a little bit more intense. And then when you have a trial, like specifically a homicide trial, which you and I have both testified at, I mean, you have a full courtroom, you have a full jury pool, you have, you know, every, everybody in the room is hanging on your every word and what you say. And then when you say what you say, when you're getting cross-examined, here comes the defense attorney that's going to try and impeach your testimony and call you a liar. And, and, and Phil, that. that's always, that's also um, displaying your competency or lack of it. If you Absolutely. don't if you're not competent at testifying and competent at your job, a good defense attorney can eviscerate you, just Absolutely. totally destroy you. You know, um, who just, I just saw someone had asked me, Linda Petrovich had asked me, she didn't know that I was an actor and in movies. I wasn't in movies. I was in a TV show called the perfect murder. And I've been in a bunch of commercials uh, before COVID. I was auditioning a lot for commercials. But again, the grind is like, I wasn't getting booked as much as I would have liked. And then when COVID hit, the live acting class that I was going to was no more. And they tried to do it by Zoom, but it's not the same. So I stopped taking acting classes and stand-up stopped. And we're actually doing stand-up shows on Zoom. And that wasn't the same either. So I didn't go back to, in fact, just very recently, maybe about a month ago, two months ago, I had an, an agent that was sending me auditions like two or three times a week. And I finally told her, I go, I don't even want to do it anymore. Because even when they send you an audition, you have to do the audition on your phone. So if you don't have someone to read opposite you, which I didn't, my wife was working, there was no one home. I, you can't do the damn audition because it's not authentic if you don't have someone that can read opposite you. And even if the person that's reading opposite you, if they're not an actor, it makes your performance that much worse. So I was just like, you know, something every time I was getting sent an audition, I was like stressing out. And I was like, you know, I called her up and said, look, I'm out. I said, I you know, you I know what, Billy, when you think about it, if it wasn't for the show, the perfect murder, there would be no police off the cuffs because you and I would have never met and there would be yeah. no police off the cuff. And then what you said just now that because of the COVID and everything, that's maybe what you focused your energies on police off the cuff podcast. And yes. hundred percent. I wouldn't have uh, put so much into this if I was still doing stand up and if I was still doing uh, acting and all of that stuff. And I'm not, I'm not going to say I'll never go back to stand up or I'll never go back to acting. I loved acting, but when I tell you it's a lot of work, you oh, know, you can be a half-ass actor and put nothing into it, but if you want to really be good at it, you really have to work hard at it. And it's, it's, it's no joke, man. It's, it's, it's so time consuming, you know? 
you know, you're making a great point about it because I could remember, um, you know, when, when, when you get the call sheet, usually a day or two before, and it tells you what scenes of that big, long script that, you know, that they're going to be shooting that day. Now I would study and there would be like a break in the scene and then you'd go into the next scene. And one time I was sitting down now, I, I, we were going to do the first scene and then the director said, you know what, let's just go right into the next one. And he combined them. And I always in between scenes would go over it. Now it was like, he combined it three pages of, of uh, dialogue and it went from a page and a half to three pages. And I was like, Oh my God. And it took a couple of times, a couple of takes before we got it down. And, but when you're going into that many pages of the, it's, it, believe me guys, it's not easy. Just like doing this podcast. There's a lot of work that goes into this. And just earlier today, we were sending pitches back and forth. We right. were trying to get Willie on and people don't realize, you know, so, you know, I mean, Phil, you, you're so, so right. People think like you just come on here and, just no, talk and just, no. and I wish I could do that, but there is some preparation to this sometimes more than others. Today was a little easier because I knew we could just have a conversation, but there's times when you really have to do <laughs> some studying. I just want to bring something up today, folks. If no, if you're not um, subscribed to police off the cuff, please go on our YouTube, hit the yeah, subscribe button, right. ring the bell, give us a thumbs up. Also, uh, if you could support us on our Patreon or our YouTube family, I see a lot of, green font out there. And I also want to throw it out there to uh, guys, cops that are listening. Phil and I are going to do a Christmas show. And actually someone in the chat came up with this idea. I'll get her name. It was a brilliant idea. She says, Bill, Sergeant Bill, she says, why don't you do a Christmas show where you tell really warm hearted cop stories about things that cops have done during Christmas time. And I was like, that's a brilliant idea. So Lieutenant Pete, I'm throwing it out to you. If you got a great story, I would love to have you on the Christmas show. Joe Murray, Angie Yang, if you guys have a, like a heartwarming Christmas story, you know, like you found the puppy and returned it to its owner or something like that. You know, you uh, you brought someone food that didn't have any money. You know, something like that. A real that cops do all the time. Well, well, Billy, I spoke to Tommy Dades after we spoke about the Christmas show, and he's got a fantastic Christmas I, you know, story. I, I would put this out there, and people are going to come out of the woodwork even making up stories, you know? No, no, he's, he's, got a, he's got a story. Because the minute I said it to him, because I, I said I'd like to bring on Joe Cal, Joe Calderera, my, my old partner that I worked with, and we have a great Christmas story. He's a retired lieutenant. and But when I talked to Tommy, I – He's oh, I got a great Christmas story. It's not really that heartwarming, but it's going to be worth it to hear the story. I'm not going to say. Look, I I I just think that it could be great, you know, because people want to hear stories of giving, stories of love, stories of thoughtfulness, you know. And I'm sure Lieutenant Pete has a a bunch of stories because. uh, How many Christmases did you work, Billy, in 27 years? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and there's no holidays when you're a cop or or when there's a homicide on Christmas Eve, you know. Guess what? I'm not going home, you know. Yeah, I had something really terrible on Christmas Day in my last couple of years on the job, and uh, we'll talk about another time. But, yeah, I mean, uh, you worked all of those holidays, so there's going to be plenty of stories. So I think we'll come up with a nice show for the the Christmas spirit and – you know uh, the the story that I'm gonna talk about. If if I could get Joe Cal to come on, it's uh, it was a life and death story. I'll leave it at that. And uh, but we both made it through okay. So and you know, folks, anyone in the chat that uh, is a cop or, or, or member of the service, I put our uh, email up there, policeoffthecuff one dot com, and, and you know, email me your story. And 
I would love to have you on, you know, and again, you know, we'll do roughly an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. We don't want to, you know, go crazy because it's a Christmas show. And I, I thought, and I said to Phil, I said, I would love to have Christmas songs and all of that stuff, but we can't do that because we'll get hit with a copyright infringement. And we, unfortunately, all Christmas songs have people that wrote them. And they, and so we're actually not allowed to on YouTube anyway to use Christmas songs. I would love to do it because, but, because it would make it so much festive. But I promise you this, we're going to be having a cocktail during this Christmas show. Maybe go. I'll maybe I'll have a little Bailey's. Maybe we'll have some eggnog, whatever. But we'll we'll make it a very festive. And not because I'm nervous. I'm going to have it. I'm going to have a drink <laughs> yeah. for Christmas. Not because yeah. I'm nervous. I mean, I think it'll be a lot of fun. It'll be in the Christmas spirit. You know, it'll be it'll be just a great great time. And uh, I mean, I got to get the woman. She, I think she was from um, Scandinavia somewhere. I got to get a name. I feel stupid that I didn't write a name down. She's always she's always coming on coffee with Cannon, and. Um, so I got to write a name down, but if, she, if she's listening, she knows it's her. It's a great idea, and we're going to do it. I just uh, yeah, I like- think that's I think it's a fantastic idea. Thank you. We'll figure out her name. We'll mention it on the air. But uh, yeah, that's going to be good because I'm as with think as I'm thinking, I'm coming up with a, a few other stories too. So it'll be good. It'll be good. You know, I think even I, Angie said though you could just sing a song. I think even if you sing a song, they can hit you with the copyright because. When I did Fairy Tale in New York and I didn't I didn't monetize it, they put copyright. They they came at me with a copyright. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. You can't you can't do anything on this. This they hit you with some okay, it's Christmas Eve, babe. In the drunk tank, an old man said to me, Won't see another one. And then he sang a song. That rare old mountain dew. I turned my face away. And dreamed about you. God, well, I'm definitely not going to be singing, Billy. Amen. Chela Luna means about it. That I can do, but I can't. But oh, now Maui Swift says hum. No matter what we do, even the melody, they'll hit us with a uh, they'll hit us with a copyright strike. You know, it would be so nice to be able to play some Christmas carols and stuff, but. Uh, I don't think we could do it. I hope you guys with the background. We'll do something with the background. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. I'll wear, I'm going to wear a Santa Claus hat, you know, put us in the spirit, all of that stuff, you know, I mean, guys, you know, I I don't know if you guys, everyone's been listening. We've been trying to do a lot of different shows, like be a little more, I'll use that college word, eclectic, Eclectic. you know, and uh, you know, sometimes it's risky to do a different type of show. You don't have as many people watch, listen and stuff, but it's fun for us to, uh, what's that expression that we say? Oh, you got to think outside the box, right? And it's fun for us to do a different type of show, isn't it, Phil? Absolutely. And I, I really enjoyed today's show because uh, Willie's just a guy from Brooklyn, uh, grew up in, in Gravesend. And like he said, he just got accidentally introduced to acting. And you go fast forward, uh, whatever it is, 25, 30 years, he... Uh, he really put together a production team and he gets a lot of stuff done. And uh, I, I got to tell you, I met some really fantastic people too, uh, being associated with Willie Ware. Uh, the day I worked on the show when they were doing that sit down scene, I met Nick Tutoro. And there's another guy that was in Donnie Brasco. Um, 
I can't think of his last name. Uh, you, you had him on the screen. He was in the trailer. Uh, something Russo. Uh, met Chuck Zito with Willie. Uh, then I met Chaz Palmateri's daughter and, and his wife. And uh, you had Sandy Blue Eyes up there. That was great because that particular day, that's, that's a real authentic true story. Everybody was like, who the hell is this guy? Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Mm. And then, I don't know, for a second, I thought he might have been like a real live, you know, street guy. And when I started talking to him after everybody asking me who he was all day, he's like, I'm a retired NYPD highway cop. I'm like, brother, you know, I, we, we just hit it off good. It was great. Well, you know, Phil, in this picture that's on the screen right now. Those are some four uh, big names. Well, the guy from the second from the right is Andrew Dice Clay. Yep. And the guy all the way to the right is Vic DiBetetto, who happens to be hilarious. He does yeah. those rants on YouTube, and he sometimes gets a half a million people listening yeah. in fact we tried to get him on our show but he blew us off so if you're listening victi b, b potato I, I won't say any curse words in italian or english but uh <laughs> the, the other guy that was next to d potato was a guy by the name of uh, leo rossi who's good friends with uh joe pistone they do a podcast together and the guy on the extreme the other side was uh foresight i believe his name is i think it's uh william foresight he's uh -huh. also a pretty uh he's been a lot of things i think he he played uh he played a lot of, uh, I think, with Steven Seagal. Uh, Mikey, you see Richie. That was oh, I, oh, I love that one. Yeah, Anyone yeah, yeah. seen Johnny Lupo? Who, who killed Bobby Lupo? Who killed Bobby Mikey. Lupo, you bunch of shadrules. Yeah. Mikey, you see Richie? Who killed Bobby Lupo? You want my shield? Go get it. Come and get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's actually great... like an auxiliary cop or something now, wherever he lives. I, I love the scene when the guy says to him, he goes, you can't touch me. I'm with Don Bozzini. And then he smacks the shit out of the guy. <laughs> I you thought that was, you can't hit me. Man. I'm with Don Bozzini. Oh, really? <laughs> Who is he? <laughs> that, that was great. You know, I, I tell you, there's some very stereotypical, like wise guy movies, but they're always like entertaining. And when they get like authentic, I was watching even the other night, I was watching um, one of uh Marty Martin Scorsese's um, the, the Casino. Oh, Casino. It's good. Uh, it's good, but it's it's sort of like he's repeating a lot of the themes from his other movies, from Goodfellas. Uh, you know, every other mob movie he's done, he, he uses something from one of those movies and some of the same actors, too. Yeah, yeah. It's, the, the, guy, the guy that uh, Robert De Niro played, when you use the term Shadrul, that's a shadrul. He was just like <laughs> a moron. His wife is screwing everybody, and yeah. he just keeps going back for more, uh, almost like a sadist. But but I think that was actually like a, that part of it was true, that, that that guy was a great handicapper with uh, sports betting and stuff like that, and they used utilized him in the casino business, and that's how he got into it. And, uh, yeah, and they were doing the skim and all of that. So there's parts of it, obviously, based on a true story. Yeah, no, no I, I love I love those movies, but I think they can also get um, maybe stereotypical and also yeah, yeah. they can get repetitive because maybe you run out of different stuff because, like, there was a scene at the bar where Joe Pesci beats some guy almost to death, stabbing with him with a pen. I was like, you know, that's where... That's where I get it. Like it's not when violence becomes too much. Yeah. You're like, all right, I don't even believe this anymore. Well, it's you funny know? you bring that up because in the movie Goodfellas, Joe Pesci 
beats the shit out of and kills Frank Vincent. And then the movie Casino at the end of Casino. Frank Vincent's in the movie. He he no he he kills the Joe Pesci character. They remember they. Oh, and, and let me okay. tell you. That was like that was one of the best beatings in, in Hollywood, like in film, because it looks so real when they're hitting him with the bat and they throw him yeah. into the dirt, and it's like his face goes in the dirt and the dirt goes in his mouth. It was re- very authentic looking. Frank like Frank Vincent, I think he just died last year. He was yeah, a great he passed away. Not great character ago. actor, man. Oh, great he, he, in the Sopranos, he was so Leotardo. Leotardo. Yeah, he was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, he was so good. At, and again, he has that face. He yeah. just has that face that's like he belongs in a mob movie, you know? If you want to see some great uh, Frank Vincent acting, you got to watch Raging Bull. I mean, that's just a classic movie. And oh. For me, growing up where I grew up, in, in, you know, I was born in 60s, so in the 60s and where I grew up, that movie just epitomizes what was going on at that time. You know, it's really based in the Bronx, but Bronx, Brooklyn, all of that. It's just like I knew people that the way that those guys act, like the way the Jake LaMotta character, and I, you just knew people like that, you know, and, and the way that they acted and the mannerisms, and uh, it's just, it's unbelievable. And I could well, do so many lines in that movie, too. Well, it was funny. My uh, my friend, uh, when there was a scene where um, in the movie, De Niro says to his, one of his kids, he goes, get your hands off the table or I'll stab you with this knife. Oh, no, that was Pesci does that. Oh, Pesci, and, and uh, my friend said, that was my father growing yeah. up. I was like, well, that's too bad. You put your hand in that dish again. You see this knife? I'm going to stick it right in your eye. <laughs> and then right after that is when uh, Robert De Niro comes in and beats the shit out of the Joe Pesci character because he thinks he screwed around with his wife. That's right. That's right. Oh, God. That was crazy. That was really uh, – Oh, I remember the one scene in Goodfellas where he, he tells his brother – which was Joe Pesci's wrap your hands. And then he had him just punch him in the face a bunch of times. He made him wrap a towel around his hand and punch him in the face. I was like, that was so sick. You know, it was like, uh, he, he was really, he was really a character, the real Jake LaMotta. He was, they said a lot of those things were true. He was a super, super jealous of his wife and, and would go off on these crazy tangents that she was screwing around and, you know, but, uh, and he did, uh, he did meet her when she was like 16 years old. And I guess he was probably maybe 30 years old. So there's a lot of truth to that movie, but, uh, and I think Robert De Niro to get ready for the role, he hung out with Jake LaMotta for like six months. Yeah. And uh, he was with him day and night. And uh, he pretty, uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that movie won a uh, Academy Award. Yeah, I think that was one of um, Scorsese's best movies he's ever done. I mean, directing-wise, cinematography, casting, acting. It was, it was an incredible, it was yeah. an, that was his best work, I think, ever. And then again, I thought Goodfellas was fantastic. Oh, I like the way Goodfellas, he had Ray Liotta narrate the movie. That was so cool. You know? Yeah, that was that was a very. I think that that really started a lot of other movies or, or shows that did stuff like that, where they did like a little narration, you know, where it was almost like a a documentary film, you know. Yeah, and it, it really and it worked so well. It worked, yeah. you know. I gotta make some sauce, so I'm cooking up the meat over here. She's slicing the garlic, but I gotta take a errand to the airport, pick up some Italian bread, and like. And, yeah, like, yeah, that was so good, you know. Yeah, that that's a classic movie, and it's so. And the best part of that movie that everybody always does it, you know, one of my clown. That was ad libbed. Joe Pesci and and, and the, the actors that were in that Ray Liotta, they kind of, you know, it was really not written the way it came out. They ad libbed a lot of that stuff, and uh, yeah, no, it, it was it was fantastic. Iconic. You know, 
it's funny. Um, the the guy Chuck Lowe who played Maury, he was a good friend of of my wife's, and I knew him. And when I saw the movie, I was like, "That's Chuck. He's not even acting. That's him. That's who he is." And it right, was so, right. No, it's, it, the whole thing, the premise we said, "You being you is more interesting than you trying to be someone else." And yep. Chuck Lowe played himself, but he was on a movie screen. He was fantastic. You know, it's, it, like- it, it's funny because that's how you get the authenticity. You're authentic when you're playing yourself. Willie DeMeo, uh, a while back, right, right before he did the scenes at Spumoni Gardens in Brooklyn, he had asked me, he goes, oh, he goes, you want to be in the show? I could give you a part. You you play a gangster. I said, listen, I could probably pull that off. I said, but I'm more of the detective. I'm a, I'm a cop. You know, that's what yeah. I did on Perfect Murder. And we were talking about maybe you and I doing something with him. It just it didn't pan out, but who knows, maybe going in the future. But I think it would be a, a, a lot less of a stretch playing a detective or an FBI agent as opposed to playing a gangster, you know. Right, right. But I'm sure you could do that, too. I mean, it's yeah. It's not, it's not I grew up around know. enough, and believe me, I grew up on Avenue. There was plenty of gangsters around me. And my... In my life, I went right instead of going left. I could have went in that direction, <laughs> but I had the right people around me, whether it be my older brother, Nick, my cousins. Uh, I always hung out with guys that are older than me that would always pull me by my collar and get me out of harm's way, so to speak, you know? So, hey, you know, sometimes in life you can pick door number one or door number two, and door number two is the prize, door number two is disaster, and- uh, yeah. The we've one we ticket to Palookasville. That's that's right. We've all had those moments in our lives, you know, yeah. not just us, everyone has. Anyway, Phil, we're at four, we're at an hour and 12 minutes. I think yes. it's time to uh, Absolutely. say goodbye. You know, folks, we tried to do a little bit of a different show, not take a story from um, the national media, but invite a pretty cool guest who I enjoyed having on. And, you know, just a little lighter topic. But tomorrow night, we'll probably be back with something tomorrow night. We don't have anything scheduled, but we're looking at the national news. Maybe we'll even do something about the Brothers Cuomo. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> you know my favorite topic. The Brothers we, might, Cuomo. We, we might cover the Brothers Cuomo. You never know. We, we got we to gotta see. But the Tuesday night, we have a great show with uh, Michelle McPhee, and it's going to be on the um, Boston Marathon bombing and her book, Mayhem. We have an actor named Cliff Moylan on, and uh, hopefully, yeah, that's the that's the book, right? And the real um, Sergeant McClellan from the Watertown Police Department in Massachusetts that shot it out with the Zarnayev brothers. I think it's going to be. Is he offensive. is he committed with us? Is he? Is he I, I'm pretty sure he's going to come on. You know, I'm just that a little. I'm just a little concerned he may be technologically challenged, which we've had some recent disasters with that. Phil, final words. Final words, uh, everybody have a great Sunday. Uh, enjoy. It's the holiday season. Christmas is coming. Uh, be around your loved ones. Enjoy each other. Try and make the best of the crazy times we're going through in the world or in the United States anyway. Um, it was a great show today, Billy. I'm glad that we got Willie on. He's an accomplished uh, movie producer, actor. He wears many hats. Uh, I thought it was interesting. And uh, a shout-out we gave to Sandy Blue Eyes. Hopefully, we'll be getting him and Chad <laughs> on sometime soon. There he is again. That, <laughs> if I tell you to start at that guy cause that day. Everybody all morning, because I didn't meet him till like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And, <laughs> you know, he was on the set. And, you know, you didn't want to interrupt. And everybody, there's five, six people. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Because he was dressed to the nines, and he looks exactly like- He, he looks good, man. Back. He's got those shoes. He's got those expensive shoes yeah, on Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> He was head to toe gangster central, uh, right out of central casting. And if I tell you, when Willie introduced me to him, and he said, I'm a retired highway cop. I'm very close friends. I'm bodyguard, chess, palmetary. When he said cop, 
I just about hugged him. I said, are you kidding me? I said, me too. I'm retired, you know? It was like a brotherhood, you know, but uh, good man. It was great meeting him. And uh, thanks again for uh, Willie coming on today. And uh, Bill, as always. It was a great show, folks. Thank great you so day. much. Have the rest, the rest of your day this Sunday. Have a wonderful day. And we'll probably see you tomorrow. We're not sure what we're going to, the show we're going to do tomorrow, but I think we're going to do something. We're going to knock out as many shows as we can in 2021 before we turn into a, <laughs> a for 2022 guys thank you so much One episode, just